Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. The prophetic word came with tremendous warning that there are some people not too happy about what God is doing in the midst of us. And like Nehemiah, you heard Sanballat, Tobiah, whenever someone attempts to build, it will unearth the Sanballats and the Tobias. If you want to rebuild principles, walls in people's lives, it will unearth a new attack of the enemy. But remain unfaced. This season, you have to be very strong mentally. The present season, you have to be very strong spiritually. You cannot succumb to things that beset you last year. You must now be resolute. There must be an internal strength, a rigor, a fortitude within you that um, will cause you to bear the brunt of significant attack. You've got to be strong. Finally, my brethren, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know, I just like what Paul says. I like the way he starts some verses. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Tell your neighbor, finally, <laughs> be strong. Now he's saying, after all I've taught you and I'm rounding up now, he says, hey, finally, be strong. And Ephesians says, stand, having done all to stand. And then the next verse, he emphasizes, stand ye therefore. Right? It's amazing. So I want to encourage you, now is not the time to be flummoxed or to be unseated, unfazed, detoured, derailed. Stand your ground, have a strong mind in the Lord. We have good courage. The joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. We have a kingdom, we have a king. And the Bible says that for a long time, from the days of John the Baptist up until now, the kingdom of heaven is advancing and men press into it. Men push into it. So I want to encourage you, it's a time of great kingdom advance. Amen. Are you excited about your future? Amen. Hallelujah. It's a great day in God. Uh, uh, Carol's exhortation this morning really spoke to me that this is a kairos for acceleration. What could not have been done in 70 years was accomplished in 52 days. Nehemiah built that wall in 52 days. But you know, the enemies came up against him, but he had to be clear of his mandate. Be strong in spirit, right? They call the Jews these feeble Jews. What attempts are they making to rebuild a wall, these feeble people? I tell you, neighbor, we're not a feeble people. Hmm? Um, don't disesteem your strength in the light of the magnitude of the task that God has given you. Don't think of the, the magnanimity of the task. The bigness of the task must not cause you to be dwarfed internally in terms of your capacity and your ability to do what God has called you to do. So you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen. Um, I, I want to go to the prophecy towards the end of this, and so I don't want to get into that now, but um, we have to be strong and resolute. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to continue with what we discussed, or have been discussing, it's an aspect concerning the grace of God. Can I just come up here? Because of 
It's an aspect concerning the grace of God. And what we are doing, we are dealing with how grace is transferred to you from one person to another based upon an association with the person. So the subsection of this part in the grace series is in subtitled Impartations of Grace, or ways in which grace can be imparted to you. To a large degree, this is a summary of critical issues that we've already discussed, okay? But I really believe the Lord wants us to rehearse it from a different vantage point or from a different angle. Now, biblically, things are impartable. In other words, transferred from one person to you, but the source is God, not the person. The person is used as a facilitator of some divine resource that God is intending to get from him to you. Okay? So just put 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, for example, um, as, you, as, you, as that scripture goes up on the board, let me just list these things just for the sake of the record. What is impartable? What things can be transferred to you? Publicly, blessings, number one. Number two, grace in its variegated expressions. Number three, peace. Number four, mercy. Spiritual gifts, healing, and even life itself are all transferable or impartable. Okay? And there are many ways by which this happens. Remember, uh, the Greek word for impart is meta didomai. Everyone say meta didomai. And I explained this to you. Didomai means to give. Meta implies an association with someone. The word meta in the Greek strictly means with. And didomai means to give. So if, if, if I say I'm going to impart, that means something's going to be transferred from me to you. By virtue of the strength of an association, okay? And like I said, various things are impartable. And there are various mechanisms or ways in which impartation takes place. Now, let me just clarify the point. The person is not the source. You must please remember this. Because many people have a false notion that because they are the vehicles through whom God imparts things to others, that they become deified or a demigod in the process no you don't you are simply an ordinary human being like everybody else but God in his sovereign choice chose that person in and through whom to communicate certain aspects through with the idea it being destined for benefit in another okay so for example here Paul writes to his son Timothy to Timothy my True child in the faith. The word child can be translated son. Which the word is technonia uh, in the Greek. right? In, my, in other words, it's a legal term denoting the authenticity of a genuine relationship. Because the word true is used here in this context. The word true means not fake. Legitimate. Genuine. Sincere. To Timothy my true Technon, my true legitimate son in the faith. Notice there is sonship in the faith. You are 
Timothy is God's divine son, but he's Timothy's spiritual son. Spiritual sonship and divine sonship are not in contradiction. The one is meant to facilitate the other. You are God's son, but everyone needs to be submitted to a spiritual father through which God can transmit things destined for you through. So Paul is talking as a father here and he says to Timothy, my, my true child in the faith, grace, remember I said grace is impartable, mercy is impartable, peace, blessing, health, healing, spiritual gifts, remember? I'll give you the scriptures later for the others. Grace, mercy, and peace from who? From God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Which or who is the source of grace, mercy, and peace from this verse? God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. But who is doing the pronouncement thereof? Paul. Right? Paul is doing the, the, the declaration or the pronouncement of it. And he says, my dear son, my true child in the faith. I'm going to impart to you three things. Grace, mercy, and peace. And he does it by a salutation. This is not simply a nice way of opening up a letter. When we write letters, we say, hi, so-and-so, how are you? Trust all is, trust all is well. Then we get into the content. When Paul starts his letters, this is not equated to, hi, how are you? When he says to Timothy, and he immediately gets into grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ to you, my son. It's a deliberate, purposeful, very clear intent on behalf of Paul as an apostolic fatherly figure to a young man, Timothy, whom he's mentoring, grooming, and he says, by my verbal proclamation over you, Timothy. What he's asking Timothy to clearly understand is, Timothy, this is no ordinary greeting. I'm imparting things to you by the words I declare to you. I want to speak today. There are many ways in which impartation takes place. Remember last week or the week before, uh, we discussed how impartation takes place through association. Okay? So Saul was a king, but the Bible says he came amongst who? Prophets. And what happened? He started to prophesy. Is he a prophet? No. But because he was within the environment of prophets, the prophetic spirit was so strong that it began to operate in the environment in which he was strongly associated. And in that session two weeks ago, I then challenged all of you. You must know what association we are closely aligned to. The association that this local congregation comes under as an environmental grace that hovers over us is an apostolic one. It's a Judah anointing, remember? Right? So why is David, David skillful with his sling and is able to take down Goliath with one stone? Why? It's not so much that he killed a, a lion and a bear, which he did, but it was because of a prevailing grace, an anointing called Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah. The Hebrew word Yeduah, translated in English as Judah, means he who is skillful with the hands or he whose hand is on the neck of his enemies. So when David uses the sling, the yes, he's a private, personal, individual man 
But what is he harnessing? The technology of the prevailing grace of a Judah apostolic anointing. Now, I want to encourage all of you. You in your private world will be successful. I'll say it again. That's a good place to say amen. You in your private world will be successful. A lot of your success in killing Goliaths is going to be because of an awareness of the prevailing grace out of which you are functioning. If you truly understand that, it will override a lot of your personal deficiencies. Then it's not about you. You're accessing a greater corporate grace. Amen? So everyone say a prevailing anointing. Right? So it's a predominant, overarching, uh, prevailing anointing that comes upon, that comes upon you. You could get certain things imparted to you through the laying of hands. Not so? So if I lay my hands on these two young people here, who are today 57 years married. Can you believe it? Through, through, Through the act of touch, what I've just demonstrated, I can impart certain things through my, the laying on of hands. Now, I won't have time to teach that doctrine. The laying on of hands is an elementary foundational doctrine. For example, Jesus says, ordinary believers, you too, you can lay hands on the sick and what happens? Right? So at times, Jesus spoke to the sick. Times, he decreed healing to the sick. At other times, he touched like a leper. Right? So the laying of hands is a biblical methodology by which spiritual virtue, grace, transaction, life can be imparted to, a, to another. What, the primary way, listen carefully, by which impartation happens is by the word of God. Every time you're under the sound of God's word, do you know you must be in reception mode, right? Because when the preacher preaches, you're hearing God's word. And what is in the word? Come on, talk. What is in the word? Grace. So the grace of God is couched in the word of God, which when preached must be received by faith. And when the recipient receives that by faith, with trust and hope and belief in the word preached, he walks out the door in life in an obedient fashion, commits and resolves to obey that word, the grace of God begins to operate powerfully in the life. All because you heard something. Tell you never hear something. You know, like you can be in an environment like this where the word has been spoken. One sentence, one phrase, one scripture. How does faith come? Faith comes by? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the act of hearing is a biblical uh, 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 method by which to receive impartation of grace. So there are many, many methods. Today, I want to focus on one primary one, which is verbal pronouncement. Now, I'm not talking directly here by the act of preaching the word. That is one methodology. But here I'm talking about when someone to whom you are accountable in God, like a spiritual father or a spiritual leader, comes to you and declares something to you. Now, I want want you to listen very carefully to this teaching. You see, truth doesn't set you free. Truth that you know sets you free. Jesus said in John 8.32, you will 
Know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you are unaware of a truth, although the truth exists, it, does, it doesn't liberate you until you know it. Until there's an awareness. It's amazing how that the moment you come into an awareness of a truth, it's liberating. It's arming. It's empowering, right? Not so. So truth that you know does nothing for you unless it's first revealed to you. Pastor Thamo taught us this, and he's been stressing this recently in a lot of his sermons. He's been saying that the moment you see a thing in God, it's yours. God's purpose in showing it to you is that you might possess it. So please listen to this truth, because if you truly understand what I'm about to teach, very shortly, I won't be long, if you truly understand this, whenever it's enacted, over you, when God requires you to enact it over somebody, you must be fully conscious of what is taking place. The lack of consciousness prevents the lack of reception. Yeah? So you must be aware. Tell your neighbor, be aware. Be aware. So first point, for example, Paul is writing to Timothy. If Timothy is reading this letter, okay, he gets it. And he says, oh, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father. Okay, let's get to the... If he just glosses over this, he's missed something very profound. Paul is deliberately imparting to him grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to 2 Timothy, this is 1 Timothy 1-2. Go to 2 Timothy 1-2. In the second book that he wrote to this, the son of his, he says something very similar. To Timothy, my... Beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and, and Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus rather, our, our Lord. Okay? So, the true child of 1 Timothy 1-2 has become the beloved son by the time he writes 2 Timothy 1-2. Can you see that? He first says to Timothy, my true child. But now he's saying, and oh, by the way, 2 Timothy was written just before Paul was beheaded. That was his last testament, his last book that he wrote to, and he chose to write to his like-minded son. And he says, Timothy, you know, you're no longer just a genuine son. You're now my beloved son. He was always Paul's beloved. Any true father will love his spiritual son. Right? Like, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians Four, don't turn to it. I have it somewhere. First Corinthians, okay, let's turn to it. First Corinthians 4.14. Paul refers to the entire group of the Corinthians as beloved children. Okay? I do not write these things to shame you, but to correct you how? To admonish you as my beloved children. Now, you know there were serious issues with the Corinthian believers? Right? They were given to a lot of Perversion of various kinds, right? And in fact, if you, if you go back up in first, in chapter 1, you know what he calls them? Saints. He says to all the saints that were in Corinth, yet these saints were, were involved in some unsaintly things, right? Listen carefully. Don't underestimate the power of proclamation. Paul, is, Paul knows exactly what he's doing. He's literally saying, you, you might be so far from your sainthood, from living a pure life, 
But I as a father in Christ, when I address you, I'm seeing a reality that you are still coming into. So don't judge you based on where you are now. I call forth your destiny in terms of what I want to see you become, so I dress you as saints. Amen? You must never judge a person based upon their present failure. Always see them in the light of their prophetic destiny. Remember, uh, uh, to illustrate this, Peter failed the Lord, remember? The cock crowed and he denied the Lord three times. Not so? Peter cussed. He's... He used some unsavory words, right, that even the English language doesn't allow to, to doesn't accommodate. Remember? And you know what the Bible says? When he did that, you know what the Bible says? And Jesus looked at him. He has a cock crowing and he remembers. Before the cock crow, you betrayed me three times. The look was not a look of condemnation. You know, I even believe in the grace look. Dr. Segi calls this the grace look. The look wasn't one of condemnation, but one of love. It was one of forgiveness. Jesus wasn't judging him because 53 days from that day would be the day of Pentecost. Where the same man who was denying him is the same Peter that would stand up when they were judged saying, it's only nine in the morning and you guys are drunk. Who stood up? Peter stood up and said, we are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was written by the prophet Joel. Right? So the man who denies the Lord in one moment, literally two months later, becomes the greatest spokesman on behalf of the Lord. Right? So when Jesus looks at him in his denial, Jesus is seeing what the man would become two months later. Right? So never judge someone in the light of their present efficient. I am training myself. God has spoken to me. Randolph, harness the power of your declaration over people. So please don't, don't uh, judge me if you see me say and talk to the worst sinner. And you, yeah, Randolph called the guy a saint. <laughs> but hey, check the man's life out. Sometimes an apostolic father in grace will see a result that is not true of the present reality. But the proclamation is designed, listen, it's not simply a well wish. I'm not wishing you well when you're a sinner and I'm saying, saint. It's an authoritative declaration as to what you're going to proceed into. Amen? So we call the things that are not as though they are. That's what the Bible, it's a faith position. I want to encourage you to start to practice this. If you see your life out of sync, any aspect of your life, out of sync with God's will. You must start to rise up and to declare the will of God in your life. Even though the physical evidence is talking to you loudly as, as at least it being the opposite. Yeah? So I want you to encourage you. Do not entertain negative speech anymore. Do not entertain doubtful speech anymore. Do not entertain defeatist speech anymore do not say right do you know what jeremiah jeremiah chapter one just quickly look i know the lord's taking sophia but listen we subject to his leading right what did god say to jeremiah as a prophet jeremiah one verse five before i formed you in the womb i knew you and before you were born i consecrated you 
and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Is that a big task? Yes or no? Right? If it was prophet to your family, maybe you would have said, no problem. I can speak to my family. You want to speak? You want me to speak to nations? You know, that, that's a magnanimous, huge responsibility. Speak to nations? For this I was born, even before I was conceived in my mother's womb. You have established this as my destiny. Wow, God, I'm overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed because see what he says. Carry on. Verse 6. I said, alas. Everyone repeat. Say, I said. I said. So who's talking? Jeremiah says, I said, ah. You know, alas. Oh, no, 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 no. Not me. I think, God, you, God, you got the wrong guy. Maybe next door, but not yet. Right? He says, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. In other words, I'm immature, inexperienced, ineligible for the task of prophesying as a prophet to nations because the whole prophetic dynamic demands that you do what? That you speak. Speaking is the technology the prophet employs to get the job done. So if my role is prophet, the basic tool, the fundamental skill I need is to speak. And God, that I cannot do. Now, I want to remind you, who's saying this? I said. Say, I said. Now, check what God says to him immediately. But the Lord said to me, do not say. God was already cutting into Jeremiah. Stop that confession. Stop, the, uh, stop saying things oppositely to what I've called you to function in. Tell your neighbor, do not say. Do not say. So the first thing God says to him, hey guy, stop. The, the content of your conversation must change from to, if you're going to fulfill this role, you better change your speech. Do not say I am a youth. Everywhere I send you, you will go. And, and all I command you, you will speak. Next verse. I like, I like how God treats this guy. Do not be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and did what to my mouth? He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah thought it would be his words in prophecy. God says it's going to be my empowerment on that mouth of yours. Do not rely upon your own strength. Rely upon my empowerment of you in the execution of the task that I have called you to do. Amen. I want to say very clearly to all of us, I really want to encourage us. I have to watch myself sometimes. Because God is calling this house to greatness, right? To, to do exploits on God's behalf. And when the task is presented to you, you must not say, alas, our Lord God, I don't know how. You must agree with the words of heaven and say, Lord, yes, if you said it, I know it's not going to be by my own strength. You, even if you need to, you're going to touch my mouth and anoint me and authorize me to function in life. Amen. So tell you never watch the words of your mouth. I'm painting this as a general new configuration in this house. 
that I was speaking now must be more circumspect than ever before. Right? Even your, your speaking must align and agree with the words of heaven. Because when now I stand over you, and I'll demonstrate to you in a moment, and I declare blessing over you, or I, like Paul would say to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace to you, Timothy, my, my true child, which has now become my, my beloved son, right? By the act of that salutation. Salutation is a way of greeting to opening a letter. But it's not a greeting. A deliberate impartation of grace from an apostle to those that relate to him. In this case, Timothy as a spiritual father. It's a verbal pronouncement. Grace to you. And peace. So, you'll notice a lot of the apostles when they conclude mes messages. you notice I'm in the habit of doing it as well. Amen. I say grace, mercy, and peace be to you. It's not a nice way of wrapping things up. It's not a nice way of opening things up. It's a deliberate attempt to impart, but you must be aware of it. If you're not aware of it, you will not harness the attendant power. Yeah? I've received so much grace by understanding this principle. When my Father in the Lord says grace to you, peace to you, or any other of the other apostles, in my heart I say, yes, I receive it. Everyone say, do this, I receive it. Right? You must be in this, yes, I believe it, I receive it. It's a simple statement, but I'm harnessing the spiritual power attended with it. Yes, I want it. Yes, I, re I receive it. Amen. I don't want to go through, I've got a long story here of how Timothy progressed from true, true child to, to genuine son or beloved son in Christ. I'll email you this note so you'll... It's a separate study altogether. But right from his conversion at Lystra, right through his relationship with Paul, if you examine it chronologically, various words are used to describe Timothy. And it shows his evolution and his, his growth in his relationship with Paul as a son in Christ. Amen. But now I just want to speak further on the power of impartation through verbal pronouncement. I'm going to skip a few things simply because of time. Now, in Romans 15 and verse 33, Paul says this, Now, the God of peace be with you. The God of peace be with you. Now, I'm going to speak interchangeably. Grace is impartable. Peace is impartable. Mercy is impartable. You know, when, when I think of that, that threefold chord, grace, mercy, and peace, God is threefold. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And anything three in spiritual terms means something solid, real, and substantial. Something solid, real, and substantial. Okay? There's a verse in Proverbs which says, I've written to you of excellent things. The word excellent things in the Greek, salis, literally means threefold things. God is threefold, not so. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Three abiding virtues. Now there abides faith, hope, and, and love. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was you sing? Sing psalms, hymns, and 
spiritual songs. Jesus is prophet, priest, and, and king. Okay? Uh, Moses' tabernacle, outer court, inner court, uh, outer, sorry, holies of holies, inner court, and the outer court. Right? Everything in God has a threefold dynamic to things spiritual. So when Paul employs this threefold uh, impartation of grace, mercy, and peace, it is directly representative of full, everyone say fullness. While we're dealing with grace, you don't only need grace, you need grace, peace, and mercy. Okay? Everyone say mercy, Lord. <laughs> uh, who needs the mercy of God daily? Yeah? His mercies are new. Every Paul knew that his son to grow to the next level, especially uh, as the end time progresses, because he employed this threefold methodology in his greetings. Of other times, he would just say grace and peace to you. Check the New Testament out. But to Timothy and Titus, like-minded sons, he says grace, mercy, and peace to you. Right? You're going to need all three. Amen. And I'm suggesting to you, it's impartable. When you receive grace, mercy, and peace. It will affect you, but the effect produced in you is so that you can transfer that same thing to others in your workplace, your friends, your family, your, your colleagues, okay? Uh, please, I want to say this. Everything you receive must not stop with you, but its intent is to go through you to, to others, okay? So in Romans 15, 33, now may the God of peace be be with you. Second Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, Peter said to his listeners. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Giving you these scriptures so that when I say to you, Julian, peace be to you, my son. It's not just Oranov is feeling good towards me. No. Or he's wishing me. No. I am deliberately calling upon the God of peace. To, 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 to impart that dynamic to you. Tell your neighbor it's no longer a well wish. Like I say, the truth you, know will do, you don't know will do nothing for you. So now when I say it, what must you do? What, what must be your, your mode? I receive it, yes. In other words, remember I said, every time you receive impartation, you receive imputation. Something is EFT'd into you, as it were used computer language, right? It's, 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 it's uh, reckoned and it's, you are considered differently as to before the impartation took place. Okay? So it changes condition, changes your state by virtue of what you have received. Okay? John 14, 27. Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give. Didomai, I give to you. Right? So peace is impartable as is grace and mercy. I want you to start practicing this church. Do you know that you are a peacemaker? Yeah? All sons of God are peacemakers. So you can go into your realm and if you see disorder, you pronounce peace. Yeah? Come on. You see the kingdom series that we did with Sean on the weekend must now start to practicalize itself. You're king in your jurisdiction. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The way peace comes in realms, it's decreed. It's legislated. It's legitimized by a decree. Jesus employed this 
And he comes to his guys, he says, peace I leave with you. You can leave peace in a place if you truly understand what you have resident within you as a son of God. Yeah? My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Look at John 20 verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, and when the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, what's the first words? Peace. Did Jesus employ this methodology? They were in anxiety. He had risen from the dead. And his summer appears, they were anxious, they worried about the future, they were, they were fear, uh, uh, there was fear of the Jews. These disciples were, were tenuous, uncertain about their destiny, how life will turn out. And the very first thing Jesus comes into the room, the first words on his mouth is, Peace! What did he do by saying that? He, he changed the whole environment. He changed atmosphere. Everyone say change atmosphere. He changed atmosphere in the room by words. I want you to, I want to encourage you. Realize what power you have when you speak. In your world, you can authorize and command peace. First thing he says, peace to you. Next verse, quickly. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, you see, he reveals to them physical evidence that he has risen from the dead. He could have done this first. He doesn't choose to do this first. What is his priority? Impartation of peace. You will never see some spiritual realities unless you function from an environment of peace. Peace is essential for your eyes to open to certain realities. From the state of being anxious, perplexed, depressed, discouraged, pessimistic about the future, your spiritual senses are dulled. Today, I speak peace to all of you. What did he say when he came to the wind on the lake? Remember? You know, you know what? I think the King James says this. The King James says, he did not speak to the wind. The King James says, he rebuked the wind. And he said, peace be still. You don't rebuke natural elements. You only rebuke spirits. So Jesus became aware that this storm is no natural occurrence. Its source was in the domain of the demonic to unseat and probably threaten our lives. So I want to encourage you, please be aware of the saints. Know what power, like for example, uh, you, Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon will share a testimony later. But when you go into your new realm, there's, there's great favor happening in the house here. You'll hear the great testimonies in a moment, whenever he chooses to speak. <laughs> when you go into a new realm, I want to encourage you, as head of that division that God is leading you into, come to that place and you say, Peace be here. Say to those under you, peace to you. But say it with conviction. Say it with, uh, you see, it's not just the saying it. It's the conviction out of which the saying is issues forth, right? Peace to you, right? 
I don't know how many times we've practiced this. You come into a context and environment, strife torn, depressed. People walk into our office for counseling. When you start to practice this, first thing we say to them, may the peace of God be with you. I'm already starting to change your state by my declaration. Amen? Come on, are you ready to change your state? You see, from the environment of peace, the kingdom is peace. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the, the Holy Ghost. And so he reveals to himself or to them aspects about himself from the vantage point of an established peace. I declare that your homes are peaceful from today onwards. Right? Many people have come to our house and say, wow, there's such a peace here. That's what we're about. It's the kingdom. I don't want to come into your house and say in strife, disorder, chaos. Because you are the king in your realm, you decree peace. I decree to you today, church, your house, your relationships from today will be characterized by great peace. Great peace. Psalm 119 verse 165. Not just peace, great peace. Everyone say great peace. Put that verse up before we carry on here. Those who love your law have, I like this, say great peace. And nothing, nothing. And what does nothing mean, brethren? Nothing means nothing. Right? It says nothing. I want to I live in this realm. Nothing causes them to stumble. Is it possible to live a non-stumbling life? Publicly it is. Is it possible to live a non-offensive life? Is it possible to be offense-proof? Is it possible to be offense-free? Yes, I can live a peaceable, peaceful, peace-characterized life. Yeah? If I'm truly kingdom, I must master peace. Yeah? I mustn't be in pieces. I must be the epitome of peace. And I declare, you know what? Peace is a huge study all on its own. I will encourage you. I dealt with this extensively in the series on the prosperity of the soul. So if you want to just get some more information, I won't have time to do it here now. Prosperity of the soul is a powerful series. Get your soul right. Get your soul in a state of peace. John 20 verse 20, the next verse, Jesus said, verse 21, after he showed them his hands, he said to you, he said to them, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so send I you. You can't be sent Unless you have first become the embodiment of peace. You can't be sent to do apostolic word. The word sent here is apostello. I apostle you, he's saying. No apostle can go into any region having strife, division, being sectarian in his heart. He must be committed to the peace of the body of Christ. So they are sent. Next verse quickly. And when he said this to them, he breathed. Uh, sorry, he breathed on them and said this to them. Receive the Holy Spirit. So he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This would be the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because remember, they would, late after, they would wait for 10 days in Acts chapter 2 that he commanded them where they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So yeah, it's not the baptism in the Holy Ghost. When he said, receive the Holy Spirit, it's like the indwelling Spirit based upon the fact that I have just died. Remember Moses struck the rock and then the water flowed. Jesus, the rock, had to be struck on Calvary for the Holy Ghost to be given in, the water, in, in fullness. And that would happen on the day of Pentecost. And what was the first act of this 
establish peace and being commissioned to be sent. What was the first thing Jesus authorizes the apostles to do? Look at the next verse. This is powerful. If you forgive the sins of any, they are, they have been forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Jesus is saying, I authorize you now to forgive men their sins. Tell your neighbor, this is for the mature. What is the forgiveness of sins? The forgiveness of sins is the pathway for men to be reconciled with God. You as my apostles are authorized, you are delegated representations on my behalf to act as I would act if I were physically present. Can men on earth forgive sins? Yes, if they are sins. Yes, if they are peaceful. Yeah? I'm going to teach more on this in a separate segment. This is not readily understood by most Christians, by the general body of Christ. I can, in my sin dynamic, stand before a repentant sinner, and I will say to the guy, your sins are forgiven you into the kingdom. Welcome into the kingdom. Your sins are forgiven you. Right? I am not forgiving the sins. I'm giving, forgiving the sins representatively on God's behalf. Right? So what is Jesus stressing here again? The power of your words. Because he said equally, if you choose, Jesus put great power in these guys' hands. Eh? If you choose to retain the sin, the sin is retained. But if you choose to forgive, in other words, if you're going to act on my behalf representatively, okay? Now, please don't go run ahead of me and start practicing this willy-nilly. I will prosecute the matter a bit more detailed, okay? It takes great sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to do this and when you should, yeah? Okay? So, um, but all I want to do in reading that is to stress to you the fact that you have, by your declaration, you have the power to alter the spiritual state of people. Amen? Come on, are you ready to practice this? Yeah? Are you ready to, to practice this? Uh, I've become very vocal and verbal in my house. In my times of early morning prayer, okay, these children can testify to it. I'm more louder now than ever before. I pray loud so they can hear. Because I'm setting an example for them. And yesterday I was saying, my house is blessed. My children are, say it loud. What am I doing? By my words, I'm conditioning my environment. Okay? Conditioning my environment. Matthew 10, verse 11. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay in this house until you leave that city. Verse 12. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take your blessing back. What power these men have? You come into a house, you come into a city. You're going to Lilongwe, Malawi. Jesus, like, I'm listening, if I'm listening to this word, and I come to who is ever hosting us. Watch, watch. And I come. And if I see they are worthy recipients of the message, and I will do it when I get there, and I perceive this, I practice this, I say, uh, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I declare peace upon you. Right? If they're not worthy, I 
biblically, I can take my peace back. Yeah? Right? I declare peace on those whose hearts are open to this. Is your heart open? Yes? Is your heart open? Okay, a few more scriptures. Luke 10, 5. Whatever house you enter, first say. Everyone say, first say. Peace be to this house. If the man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will re return to you. The, the words man of peace literally means son of peace. Um, the, the word man here is literally euios in the Greek. Son of peace. mature. If there's a mature man of peace, let your peace rest on him. But if not, it will re Turn to you. That is why wherever we travel in the world, we don't just go to re we don't respond to every invitation. Pastor Thamo taught us this. You only go to a man of peace in that city, who is worthy to receive you into his house, from which you can beam the, the message off. Okay? So I want you to become a man of peace. Let me just say this. There's a sub-principle locked up in here that if you are Mature, a uas means mature son. This word uas for man or son means mature, fully grown, mature son. Part of the characteristic of mature sonship is peace. Do not underestimate peace. Please, I urge you, listen to the prosperity of the soul series. If God's going to use you, you're going to be a man of peace. You see, to whom are they sent? To whom are they sent? They are sent to a man of peace. But they're going to come with revelation, with, with word, with new impartations, even of their own peace plus doctrine. God spoke to me that if you, if you master peace, what you're doing, you are preparing yourself as an eligible candidate for the reception of new things from God. God is saying, I want to say this to this house. Come on, talk to me, church. Are we mediators? Are we arbitrators? Are we reconciliators? Are we a house of peace? And if this house masters peace, not just privately, that is why I'm very concerned, or we prioritize relationships. We must all love each other to the nth degree, right? That's why we, we, we taught the whole hospitality thing. We must go out of our way for each other. We must become the embodiment of the peace of God. You know why? When God looks from the heaven, He would say, there's a house of peace to whom I can send my emissaries. When they come to us, like they have been doing, they will say, peace to you. And now we're ready to, to offload. But if you're given to strife, uh, tension in relationships, backbiting, deliberate sowing of division and dividing of, of people, the breaking of relationships, you are ineligible for the reception of the pronouncement of peace. Yeah? So I want to encourage you, become the, the man of peace. A few more, then we're going to close. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the... That's Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, the uios of God. Uh, you must not be a peacebreaker. You must be a peacemaker. Right? In other words, your whole disposition must be reconciliation. God has given to all ambassadors in the kingdom the ministry of reconciliation. Let me ask you this question. What is your ministry? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what is your ministry? Everyone say reconciliation. That verse says, and he has given to all of us the 
the ministry of reconciliation. That's our main ministry. Whatever we do, we want to reconcile men to God and reconcile men to men. Listen to me, brethren. You better stay with us for the next few weeks if you want to have the fullness of this thing. Right? God has clearly shown to me how that financial blessing comes to reconciliators. I will demonstrate the principle variously throughout the scriptures. Sean did say to us twice now that this house will be known for its wealth. We don't pursue money for its own end. Neither is our pursuit for money for self-indulgence. But we will administrate and steward wealth for the advancement of the kingdom. Repeat after me. Wealth is coming to this house. But the context to which wealth will come will be one of peace, one of cordial relationships. I'm tempted to go into it now. But please, come back. Tell your neighbor, please come back, right? Come back for the, I'll, I'll demonstrate this to you. Because Sean prophesied twice. He said the pin code over this house is wealth and buildings. Amen. And now in the prophecy, he said that we will be administrators of great wealth. It's going to happen. I believe it to you. Yes, I believe it to you. It's going to happen. But God, you know, I marvel at the preparation of God over us. He's taken his time to prepare the house for this dimension. It's going to happen. Amen. It's going to happen. So I want to encourage you, position yourself. Uh, uh, if anything you want to focus on for the next few weeks, I would say master all your relationships. If there's tension, it is breaking of Set things right. Reconcile. Forgive if you have to forgive. Master those things and see what God's going to bring into your hands to administrate on God's, on God's behalf. Amen. 1 Samuel 16, 4. Are you enjoying this? Yes? Come on, I said, are you enjoying this? <laughs> Listen, 1 Samuel 16, 4. Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and say, do you come in peace? You know what respect the people had for a servant of God in this culture? Samuel was coming to a certain city. And news went ahead of him that he is coming. And the elders of the city, the leaders run ahead, and the first question, because they know the prophet has the mind of God, the word of God for the city. They want to establish one thing and one thing only. Are you coming in or are you coming in judgment? Can you see they knew peace is on the lips of the man of God. Peace can be proclaimed to a, to a whole city. Then look at uh, quickly Isaiah 52 verse 7. You know this well. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who does what? Announces peace. Tell your neighbor, announce peace. Right? This word announces a powerful word if you study it. It means you're not just a well wish or oh, I wish you peace. No, you're saying, by what I say, I expect to see peace. Right? I announce peace and brings good news of happiness to him and who announces salvation and says to Zion... You are Zion. Your God reigns. Look at number 622. I'm giving you these scriptures as a witness. Who loves the Bible? Yeah? Love the word of God. Number 622. The Lord God said to Moses saying, watch. I love this, this portion. Speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, thus you will bless the sons of Israel. This word thus in Hebrew means by this manner in this way or by this methodology. How 
is Aaron. Aaron and his sons are who, by the way? Come on, talk to me. Who's Aaron and his sons? Aaron is the high priest. His sons are the Levitical priesthood, right? They represent priestly leadership in Israel, uh, functioning on God's behalf to bless the nation, right? So, thus, everyone say thus. Now, what is, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? He gives them, you will. Now, please get the revelation. God is saying, Aaron, you don't know what power I've committed, committed to your mouth. When you say, things are going to happen. When you declare, realities are going to change for the nation. Based upon the content of your communication, things are going to alter. He says, you will say to them, what is it to say? Look at the next verse. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance and the Lord give you peace. Isn't that powerful? I love that. I love this portion in the Bible. Call all of Israel, Aaron. You say to them, the Lord bless you. Come on, let's do it together. But I want you to read it with, with apostolic conviction and with great authority in your heart. Come on, read with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. And you know what the next verse says? Watch. So shall they, the priests, you and your priests, so they will do what? They will invoke my name on the sons of Israel and only then I will bless them. When am I going to bless them? I'll only bless them based upon your proclamation. I put that power in your mouth. Watch. Now, you've got to understand this word. Everyone say invoke. Look at the same verse in the contemporary English version. Verse 27 in the CEV says it like this. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will be blessing them. When they do it, I do it. Sometimes God wants to do things in your realm, but he's waiting for your utterance. Now, as, as a priestly leader over you, now when I bless you, God is saying to me, Randolph, stop complaining about your people and I repented to the Lord immediately. Hallelujah. We had my time of repentance. Right? Thus says the Lord, and I said before you, I will not complain about you ever again. <laughs> okay. As your leader. Yeah? Moses complained to God about the people, remember? And what happened? Instead of speaking to the rocky, he struck the rock. A compl complaint in leadership is very dangerous because it muffles the leader as to truly obey God. But despite the weaknesses of your people, if you train your eye to not judge them in the light of their present failure, but having a view of what they are to be, come. And I'm training my mind for all of you here. Saying, God, give me a view of their future. So when I see them now, I don't deal with them based upon present failure. But in my proclamations will be all about where they are going to. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to call things that are not as though they are. Yeah? Don't think Randolph is being, is being in denial. You can see uh, Daryl is messing up. But look at his proclamations. Over how Can't he see? Yes, I can. But I see what you can't see. I'm seeing a reality. Yeah? 
you know what the word invoke? Some versions say, for in this way you will put my name upon Israel. What is his name? His nature. His being. His essence. By your, by your proclamation, you will put my name upon them. Maybe we could go on and on about this. Ephesians 6, 23, quickly. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to get to just close because of time. There's got tons of scripture here. There's two scriptures that I want to close with. Let me do 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 first. You'll see this demonstrated. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. And that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. What he's saying, en route to Macedonia, I will pass by you. And when I return, I intend to come by you again. I'm going to touch you twice. I'll pass you twice. But my intention to pass by you twice for your benefit, go back to the next verse, is, is, is for what purpose? That you will do what? That you might receive the blessing how many times? Twice. What is Paul suggesting? Paul is saying, don't underestimate my physical presence in your midst, O Corinthians. I will arrange my itinerary in this fashion. I'll pass by you in a certain manner so that on my return journey, I pass by you again. Because your engagement with me is going to be double blessing to you. Others have me once, you have me twice. Others get one blessing, you get two blessings. Do you know the word blessing here is karis, which is translated what? Grace. What is, he saying? What, is he, what is he saying? You're going to be the recipient of double grace because you've encountered me twice. Now, I'm saying that to say this. Don't underestimate proximity, even physically, to a carrier of grace. That's why I value each occasion. I have opportunity to encounter my spiritual father in the, in, in the Lord physically, in a physical manner. That for me is priceless. Being in the environment, being in the presence is just a special, special thing. And so Paul is going to impart this. So I want to encourage you, prioritize meetings here. Don't absent yourself unnecessarily while you're robbing yourself of impart. Uh, I, would you, I would ask you to think like this. Every time you think of coming to meetings, you're not coming to mark yourself present at church. Your mindset must be, I am coming and I'm going to be the recipient of blessing. I'm going to, from, not from Randolph. He's just the, the pipeline, right? the carrier, right? Is just the pipeline. Um, where does your water come from? The tap or the dam? Or the pipeline? Where does it come from? The dam is the source. But can you get the water without the pipeline and the, the whole mechanism of tap? No. Who is our source? God is our source. But He has put mechanisms in place by which you can access all that He represents. Amen? So uh, don't leave your tap in the Spirit. <laughs> If your tap is broken, repair it. 
I have found a little photo of me, uh, the only photo of me I got in my childhood days. Unfortunately, my parents, the parents of that era, were not to focus on taking photos while you grew up. <laughs> it's the only photo I got of myself. Uh, must have been three or four years old, next to our tap with a big dog. It's just pouring forth. So, I thank God I have a tap. A person that I relate to. That is a transmitter of the grace of God to me. Amen. It's a priceless thing. Next week I'll speak about dwelling near. Dwelling near. It's a whole separate study altogether. Dwelling near. I want to close with Romans chapter 1 and verse 11. I close my notes so I don't get to read the other scriptures. Just in case the Lord moves my heart. And you're here unnecessarily longer than you should be. Okay. Check this out. You know, people complain about the whole power or the principle of importation, but yet it's clearly demonstrated. Paul is saying, I long to see you so that I might do what? When I come to you, what am I going to do? I'm going to meta didomai. I'm going to impart some spiritual gift. I said to you, spiritual gifts are Im- impartable. I will impart some spiritual gift to you. What is the intent of the impartation? That you might be established but it's not just so that you can be established watch what he further says in the next verse he says this that is in other words i'll impart things to you so you are strong you are established but from your established position what's going to happen he says i am going to be myself i will be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith both yours and mine. Guess what the ultimate intent of impartation is? You might think it's not one directional. Dennis and Trudy, I want to impart grace to you. You know why? I want to see you and your family established. You know why? When you are established, who's going to benefit? Not just you. I too. Paul himself is talking. He says, once the impartation takes place, I myself will be encouraged. I like the King James, it says, by the mutual faith of both yours and mine. So that there comes impartation in the body of Christ. And we all benefit by the measure of establishment that every one of us has received in Christ. Yeah? It's wonderful, not so? All benefit. Right? Every impartation is like a kind of investment. It must pay dividends. It must show reward, okay? The reward is you be established, and from your established position, you yourself become a transmitter of the same impartation, even to the person that imparted it to you. You become a source of great encouragement to that person. So then, this is not hierarchical ultimately. It's not top-down. It's lateral, but the initial phase is that God puts people in your life to, to facilitate this transmission. Just quickly, let's go to verse 15. But look at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I might obtain what among you? Some fruit among you, even as the rest, among the rest of the Gentiles. So he wants fruit in their lives. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the, to the foolish. For in my part, I'm eager to preach 
the gospel even to those of you who, were, who are in Rome. Paul, Rome was Paul's last stop, as you know. He was eagerly desirous to get there, and he said, I also want to have some fruit among you, Romans. I eagerly desire to come to you. When I come to you, I am fully convinced I will have, by the grace of God, a capacity to impart grace and spiritual gifts to you. When that happens, you're going to be as established, so established that even I will benefit from your establishment and your strength in Christ by virtue of the initial reception of grace and the spiritual gift that was welled up in you through your association with me. Now, if you truly understand these things, I suggest to all of you here present this morning, you will be established. You will be strong. Uh, no more weakness. No more unsettledness. No more unseatedness. You not easily be unseated or toppled or thrown or phased by the events of your life. Today, I, I firmly endorse, establish this as a reality in your spirit. That every one of you under the sound of my voice will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Stand with me and lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. Now you are in reception mode. I'm going to enact this now and pray these blessings over you as well. Come on, lift up your hands to the Lord. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance. And the Lord give every one of you peace. Now I invoke the name of our God upon your life in the name of the Lord. By my proclamation... I place God's nature upon you. I decree that your environment will be one of peace. And there will be peace for the seed. Peace within your walls, O Jerusalem, and prosperity in your palaces. You will prosper, declares the Lord. I decree that despite the, where you are presently in your relationship with God or your struggle in life, I now decree the Lord blesses you to take you beyond. The Lord causes you to surmount every mountainous obstacle in your way. The Lord light up the path of, of blur before you and give you sanity where there's a lack of it. Give you understanding, give you a clear perspective where there is ambiguity. The Lord now shines upon you and gives you a clear path and a clear way forward. On your Father's behalf, I bless you, saints of God, sons, beloved sons, true and genuine sons of God in Christ Jesus. I bless you. I bless your families. I bless your, your workplace. I bless your business endeavors. I decree and I declare that things will go very well for you. Things will go very well for you. That what uh, could not be accomplished 
in years will take like Nehemiah the 52-day principle. It will be accomplished in a shorter space of time than you've ever imagined. I decree that you are the blessed of God in Christ Jesus. In you, all nations, and through you, all nations of the earth are blessed. Right now, I speak correction to everything that is misaligned in your life. I bring it back by my declaration in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare an open heaven over you. I declare the Father's love, your heavenly Father, who loves you intensely whose mind is full of you, whose thoughts cannot be numbered more than the sand of the sea, who revolves you over and over in his mind. I declare his unconditional love for all of you saints of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen.